A little Campbelltown is Scotland's smallest whisky producing region, consisting of just three distilleries. In its heyday, there were more than 30 of the darn things. Its single malts boast unique characteristics that are considered by serious malt lovers to represent a distinct region in its own right. How did it come to this, Marty? How did it come to this? Well, Justin, anyone who knows anything about whisky knows that um, Campbelltown, although it, although it's a small region and it barely has managed to hang on to its its classification as a whisky region, um, really, if it hadn't been for for Mitchell's at Springbank, really investing in Glengyle. And, and keeping this tiny, tiny little distillery alive, then it would have lost its its whisky regional status. Now, that would have been a crying shame, because at its heyday, it was known as Whiskeyopolis. Um, like Belfast was known as Linenopolis because it made all linen. Campbelltown became just a a, a powerhouse of whisky. And it really happened really quite quickly and disappeared really quite quickly. Now, we're going to talk about a book by David Sturk, The Distilleries of Campbelltown, The Rise and Fall of the Whiskey Capital of the World. Now, before we do, I've been to Campbelltown a few times. It's literally just across the water from me. And it's tiny. I mean, it's it's... Difficult for I know we have listeners in in the US and so on, for for these people to understand just how small a town it is, it, it, it wouldn't even register as a village really. It, it's just a tiny little collection of houses. Listen, it's quite remote. I mean, it was back in the days when sea transport ruled the waves, uh, yeah. that kept it going, and then when cars take over. T- took over basically it's down a big long peninsula and it's not really near anywhere it's not on the tourist trail it's not on the main tourist trail is it it's certainly it's fairly remote it's fairly hard to get to um but back in the 19th century when the the, the boom in whiskey happened it was really sort of in some ways ideally located because the boats could come pick it up and take it into glasgow or take it primarily into Glasgow, but to take it further afield as well. Now, this book by by David Sturk starts, well, it was first published back in 2005, with it being reprinted in 2018 and 2019. Um, Now, the book, it goes all the way back to the plantation. Uh, For anyone who's not sure what that means, the plantation is basically when people were moved away from from the highlands, etc., etc., came down, uh, were, were replanted in other, in other areas. Um, certainly it's very close to, to people up in our part of the world, Justin. But the book itself, um, it starts off, the introduction tells you a little bit about the place. Um, at, at its height, it had 26 working distilleries, but over... Over the course of its life, it had 35. That's what it says in the book. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. But its population, um, let me see, the population has never been more than 9,000 people. 
Where did he get the workers from then? <laughs> well, these days, certainly after COVID, <laughs> well, you have to wonder this. But you have to remember, all well, of these would have been very small operations. They wouldn't have been massively, wouldn't have been of any great note. Um, now, the book itself is is really a book of two halves. Uh, the, well, if I'm honest, the book's a little disjointed. It tells the story... Um, of how it began, but a lot of it is done in the form of of letters and publication pieces, which are just reprinted basically, which doesn't lend itself particularly well to being a narrative. You know, to, to, you don't. I don't mind books like that. I don't mind books like that because because they show you things and you can read in it what you want yourself, and then you can go and explore from those things yourself. I don't mind books like that. Yeah, well, the only thing that all I would say is there's there's lots of letters to the Campbelltown Courier, um, which, which not necessarily relevant, but um, so it's kind of disjointed. If you read the book, it's kind it's kind of disjointed, but it's very authoritative. I mean, it's it's lots and lots and lots of detail. I mean, it goes back to one of the chapters is the boom begins, for example. And it tells you about really when they all started to, to, to come on board um, and how quickly it happened. You know, in five years, there was 12 distilleries put up between um, 1824 onwards. And it gives reference to where they are, where it's available. Some of them, they're referenced, but there's no actual reference as to... Uh, there's no map as to where exactly they were. They don't roughly, but not exactly. Okay, right. And it goes through that, um, and it goes on, it says, you know, the Campbelltown statistics for um, the, the the amount produced, well, I mean, was huge. I mean, absolutely huge. Uh, gallons of whiskey in stock in 1898, there was six and a half million gallons of whiskey in stock. Oh, with, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of stuff with... Um, one million six hundred and twenty thousand gallons being produced annually, and you know these are these are fairly significant figures. Um, the Irish whiskey trade these days are, are well, it's it's slightly more than that now. Well, it's a fair bit more than that now, but um, you know that for a long time this would have been for for nine thousand people. That's a colossal amount of stuff, um, and it just keeps going on and on. But really, the book tells you that the First World War, in some ways, because of its, there was so few people, and there were such small operations that small operations, medium operations. First World War, you had the likes of Lloyd George bringing in. Well, Lloyd Lord George brought in the Aged Spirits Act, which meant that. All whiskey had to be three years old, minimum. Um, that meant you were. They used to sell, you know, your white spirit straight off the still. It became, it was that wasn't allowed. So it, it, that stopped. You had people going away to fight in the war. You had various other factors. Lloyd George was um, um, teetotal and a. And a um, 
a temperance man. You know, he, he didn't like alcohol. He thought it was a very, very poor thing. And so, he wasn't one of these politicians who said one thing and did another. When he said it, he meant it. <laughs> well, 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 the only thing was he, he he was fond of an old bribe, was Lloyd George. If, you know, if, if, if you... There's a, a famous story of uh, a whiskey baron who wanted to... to he was going to be ennobled and he signed a cheque to Lloyd George, but he made sure he signed it with, uh, I can't remember who it was, Lord, say it was Lord Aberdeen. Well, it wasn't, but say it was Lord Aberdeen. He signed the cheque, Lord Aberdeen, so that if Lloyd George wanted to cash it, he had to make sure he ennobled him. You know, a lot of that went on with Lloyd George. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, it really took a pound and really folded. Some of the guys in the book it tells you ended up moving to Glasgow where they, they found it, some spirit stuff over there, you know, importers and so on and so forth. Uh, and the letters that goes through, it tells you um, letters to the Campbelltown Courier, etc, etc. Uh, what was it that ki- what was it that killed it? Was it the rise of Blendon killed it then, and, and then uh, it moved in from a, a sort of distillery based thing to a marketing based product? Is that is that what happened? No, well, there was a number of factors. I think it be, mainly because it was hanging on by a sort of tenuous link at any point. You know, the the, the move between legal and illegal distilling over the course, certainly over the, the, the sort of 18th and 19th century, was very fluid. You know, it moved, flickered very easily from um, setting up a legal distillery to, oh, we'll just close the legal one, move down the road and set it up illegally, because they weren't making massive volumes. It ended up they were making significant volumes, but because of really the First World War, the, the shortage of grain, the shortage of manpower, the Aged Spirits Act, um, the general temperance, etc., etc., and in many ways, it sort of mirrors what happened in Ireland. You know, the, the same sort of economic factors, if you like, happened in, in Campbelltown that happened in Ireland. And it's not really a huge surprise whenever you consider just how close the proximity. Um, one of the factors would certainly be the fact that people in Westminster, in many ways, weren't all that bothered what happened in in Ireland or uh, the remote parts of Scotland. I don't know. I don't. I don't really buy into that, Marty. Sure, they were they were down in the old whiskey dick was no tomorrow in, in Westminster. Sure, they yeah. had their own brand. You know, yeah. Corian wasn't it? Oh well, the, the House of Commons one. Yeah. Mm. Well, the thing was, that's all very good, but they could certainly very easily find something else to drink. You know, they they, they liked it, but they were quite happy. They they knew they were always going to get a supply of booze down there. So, you know, the the smaller guys were they were in many ways they could have been sacrificed and nobody would really have noticed. But the, as the book goes on, it tells you in quite good detail. It gives some really good photographs and it tells you about some of the people in it. That the Colvilles are a very illustrious family mentioned in it quite a lot. There's some really nice pictures of of old town Campbelltown and some new ones. Um. That are really quite, really, really quite quaint. And if you ever go to Campbelltown, some of the 
some of the short fronts haven't changed an awful lot, to be quite honest. No, I mean they used to have they used to have a a, a, a Woolworths there, I believe. I, I think I was in it before it closed, and and uh, you know I've I've been lucky enough to been to Campbelltown a couple of times myself. I drove once, and then I came by boat at least one other time, and that was fantastic because it was on oh, a, a historic steamer at that time. So it's, it's a sort of place you'd like you'd like to visit. I can tell you, even if you haven't been there, you'd like to go there. It's it's you pretty would. quaint. You really would, and there's a there's a cut there's a picture, it's a very small picture on it, of Springbank Still House back in 1922. I can assure you, Springbank hasn't changed one iota since Apple has taken. Um, it's basically it's just exactly the same. Now, the distilleries have pretty much disappeared. Um, as I say, there's only three, and if you really want to be pedantic about the whole thing there's really only two and a half two and a bit distilleries left uh, in in uh, in Campbelltown the Glengyle is it's basically one little shed it makes Cologne in in County Town look look fairly big to be honest um, it's really beautiful because it's, it's these big um, wooden uh, mash tons and stuff it's, I mean it's really really nice but it's it's basically tiny. Springbank, probably the next after McAllen, I think Springbank is probably going to be the next big uh, collectible. I mean, it's collectible enough as it is, but I think it's going to go through the roof at some point in the not too distant. Don't be telling anybody. This people listen to this all <laughs> over the world. <laughs> uh, yes, well, invest in Springbank. I promise you now, you'll not go wrong. You really, really right. won't. And if you ever get a chance, <laughs> definitely go. Glen Scotia, they make some absolutely wonderful whiskey. I mean, top notch. Uh, probably in many ways, in taste ways, superior to Springbank. The only problem is what they lack is the, 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 the sort of production heritage, the industrial heritage that Springbank has. In that, it, nothing has changed in Springbank since since. They dot basically it's exactly the same. But now, it, uh, this doesn't include Aaron. Aaron's a different whiskey no, region, Aaron's isn't a, it? Aaron's a, Aaron's a different re, different region altogether. Um, now this book, we'll just back to the book again. A fair whack of the book is literally just lifted from um, Alfred Bernard's book. But then I mean everybody everybody sort of relies on it. It's it's. <laughs> In many ways, the the, the stead post of, uh, of of most uh, Scotch writing back in the day. Um, so there's page after page that's just left it literally from Bernard's. Then there's some letters written, personal letters written from David Colville to to Peter Reed um, of the Dallin Tober Distillery, etc., etc. Now some of these names might be familiar to people because they've been resurrected. Um, we did a show a while back. We did an interview with a guy from the the Lost Distilleries um, company, um, the Dalaruan Distillery. Which they what they did was they looked at some of the historical stuff. They recreated and recreate the 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 malt that the, the drink that they think is as close to. The bottling as it would have been back in the day. It's well worth checking out because it's really. Aye, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in in Campbelltown itself. But 
the no, distillery. No, just the, the Dalaroon is the is the one that they did from Campbelltown, which and it's really really tasty. Actually, it's really nice. But probably the best bit of this book, if I'm honest, the, the pictures are really nice because you get a bit of a sense of place and a bit of a sense of history. Then I, I kind of like old photos anyway. Is the Appendix C, the distillery histories at the back, and what it is is very condensed about 10 lines of each of the distilleries as best as they know. So, for example, uh, the Broombray Distillery, believed they've been built in 1833, one source states 1829, opposite Woodland Place and High Street in Dallantober. The Malt Barn Distillery were sold to Edward. The site is now occupied by houses. And it's that kind of thing at the back, which is probably... You can run through, you can run through the book quite quickly. And it tells you basically the rise and the fall of, and you know, not going into too much detail on, on the, the the book itself, because it's there for you to read. But it um, the little bits at the back are, are quite fascinating in their own way. Um, for example, the Glen Gyle Distillery, tells you it was built in 1872, 73 by William Mitchell and Co. and was situated next to Glebe Street on a street now called Glen Gyle Street. Uh, they closed in 1925, uh, planning to never reopen on 8th of April 1925. The entire 22,500-gallon spirit stock in the Glen Gyle and Dalaroon warehouses were auctioned. The premises were then bought by Robert Armour and Son. Sometime later, the distillery building was rented to the Campbelltown Miniature Rifle Club, before being bought in 1942 by the Block Brothers, who also owned Glen Scotia Distillery. The Block Brothers planned to rebuild and extend Glen Gyle and even discussed building a grain distillery on the site, but the war intervened. The Block Brothers eventually sold the premises to the Kintyre farmers. And it goes on and on. Are you uh, blaming the Germans again? <laughs> don't mention the war. I think we mentioned it once, Justin, we got away with it. But there's, a few, there's, a few, there's another, I mean, for example, the Hazelburn distilleries mentioned here. Hazelburn, you can buy, um, but it's made by Springbank. Uh, it, it's their uh, uh, triple distilled. It's basically an Irish distillery, uh, if you like. Uh, Irish style whiskey, I should say. Uh, Long Road Distillery, again, made by Springbank. It's the, the their uh, peated Springbank. Um, it's just a really, really nice bit at the back which just goes through. And it gives you some reference that, uh, I mean, it's quite sad. It says here, the West Highland Distillery, built in 1830 by Andrew Montgomery and Archibald Andrew, who was the town's treasurer. West Highland Distillery was situated on Argyle Street. Little is known about this distillery, but it is believed to stop production before 1850. It's now a garage. (laughs) I mean, this is not a big garage. This is a small garage. Did, did, did they overstretch themselves? As an area, did they overstretch themselves and it was a case of imitation is the best form of flattery? You know the way everybody, once one coffee shop opens, 15 open, and then eventually they flood the market. Did did they flood the market with Campbelltown whiskies or, no, or, per se? There was there was a few things. I mean, to give you a few specifics on it, um, there was 25 distilleries in 1842. I mean, 25... I mean, this is a place that at the time probably had a population of about 6,000 people. You know, it was a very small place, fairly small operations. But whiskey consumption between 
1852 and 1857 fell by 25%. So the taxes on it had, had, had doubled. So consumption of legal... I mean, you have to remember these are small guys who are competing against illicit gin, gin and rum, really, they're competing against then, aren't they, really? Well, they're competing against gin, rum and illegal. I mean, you have to right. remember, this is a very remote part of Scotland. Um, by its very... We mentioned earlier on, you can only really get to it by boat. It's very easy on the Mull of Kintyre to hide a still somewhere. And you could be making a little bit and it's going to be untaxed and you can get it an awful lot cheaper. So start it. The Duke of Argyle built a reservoir. There's an ample supply of really good clean water. The boats were coming up, could stop off. People were making whiskey anyway. They had been, been making alcohol, probably a better way of putting it. Um, they just switched from illicit to legal. And when the conditions weren't right again, they probably, some of them probably switched back to illegal. A lot of them just closed and moved to other things. Some of them up sticks and moved to other areas to continue in the whiskey trade. Some of them managed to survive, thank God. And Campbelltown now is on the up. Campbelltown is going to be... There are plans for a number of new distilleries going into Campbelltown. And it's... Uh, it'll be nice to see... In 10 years' time, we'll be talking about Campbelltown in a very different light than we are now. And so you might see a book by David Skirt, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the whiskey capital of the world. Could be, be ca- I don't think it'll ever be the capital again. But uh, it, it, I mean, it, it, it's not going to be the same level as Isla or Speyside now, is it? Is it? Or, or, or are you going to say maybe it might be one day? It certainly won't be the size of Speyside. Isla... It could have Isla in its sights. It might, that's a bit of an ask, but it might not be that far away. How many is in Isla now? Nine or something like that? Uh, at the minute, there's, I think there's nine, maybe ten producing, and there's a few more in in the pipeline. They are they're coming thick and fast. Um, Campbelltown. Uh, in ten years' time, there might be there might be something to rival Isla, but probably not. Probably not, but you never know. You never know. Now, what what do they do there? Is it is it mostly peated to do? It's not really, is it? No, it's not. It's just, it's a fairly light sort of. Um, it's no. I always hate these um, these definitions of whiskey style of what the what kind of style they are. They're, they're kind of known for being. Um, slightly creamy and, and a slight salinity to them. That's kind of what they're, you know, the, the, really where they are um, lends itself to what it is. So they're known for being uh, quite a creamy texture, quite dry and that kind of thing. You know, they're, they're, they're not known for being peated. There are obviously, as I say, long rows quite heavily peated actually. Um, but that's the style of it's quite light, very drinkable, very palatable, um, and and something that you would really uh, easily drink. Very approachable, very approachable. If if 
I recommend having a look at this book. Probably not for everybody, um, but for for the whiskey nerd, it's pro- it's it's very handy if you're wanting to talk about about Campbelltown. But if you haven't tried Campbelltown whiskies, get your hands on a bottle of Glen Scotia, and certainly certainly try a Springbank. Um, and the joy of Springbank is that you can read into its history. Read up on what it does. Read up on just how ridiculously labour-intensive the whole process is at Springbank, but well worth well worth doing. Okay, fantastic stuff. I don't know what, how you come up with all these fantastic book reviews. They they seem to go down a treat with our uh, listeners all around the world for some reason. I think uh, I, I sometimes think are they looking inspiration for uh, purchases for birthdays and Easter and Valentine's Day and Christmas uh, dare I talk about it even though it's just over in the scale well, of things but uh, yeah there's so, some fantastic books out there isn't there on yeah, whiskey loads and loads and loads of them um, I, I, I know we've been a little bit remiss over the last few few months about doing these but I can only read so much at a time. I've read some of these but it's different whenever you're trying to just give a little light review you don't want to get too labour intensive on them no, lovely stuff. Remember to catch the live show at 10pm Saturday nights on YouTube, on Facebook, on uh, LinkedIn and on Twitch as well, usually. And then there's a repeat on... Uh, I've got a Twitch, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the repeat on Instagram as well, because you can't do live yet using the system we have, because you need to be CNN to do that, but... Let's face it, <laughs> CNN isn't on FreeSat anymore, so what a sad loss that isn't. All right. I digress. All right. Catch you again. Take it easy.